Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, good morning and welcome to the new series called The Gift. We began last week and we began talking about a man who is the father of John. Okay, well, I'm going to Okay, let me help you. Juan Juan John the Baptist and he was John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. And we actually learned last week from the father of John the Baptist, who was a priest named Zechariah, exactly what not to do when God gives you a promise. Remember, an angel appeared to him. He's almost 70 years old, and he's going in to light incense at the altar and pray. And an angel, Gabriel, appears to him and says, your prayer for a child has been heard. He was almost 70 years old. He and his wife had probably stopped praying that prayer 25 years before. Have you ever had prayers you've given up on? Have you ever had prayers that you prayed and at time when you began, you were excited about them, but, but after no apparent answer, you began to kind of wane after a year or two, and then after five or 10 years, you became really honestly disillusioned, discouraged, and disappointed. And what was a hope and a prayer became an accepted place of pain and disappointment. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's kind of like some of the relatives you have that you have to deal with at Christmas. Is there anybody that comes to mind when you think of painful and disappointing? Don't point to your mate or your children. But before we talk about that, I got to ask a question. How many of you hear Christmas, we hear it's the most wonderful of the, and it's about like some of y'all singing. (laughs) Sometimes Christmas is not actually the most wonderful time of the year. Sometimes for some people, it's the worst time of the year. But before I get to that, let me ask you something. I mean, how many of you have ever had a fight in your house over the Christmas tree? Thank you. There are some real Christians here today. Thank you for being honest in church. You, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, and, and can I just invite you a little bit into my home? Okay, well, first of all, Miss Michelle is a phenomenal, phenomenal homemaker. She's just phenomenal. Her, her grandmother was, she, who, she lived next door to all of her life. Her, her grandmother was, I mean, celebrated, decorated, the most amazing, and then her mother carried that on, and she brought it to a whole new level. And, and I, I wish that I could show, matter of fact, if you see the invite on social media, that's, that's done in my, in my living room. And it's just, it's just gorgeous. But there were some other things, apparently, they were teaching in South Louisiana that I didn't get in the barrio of Houston. And, and so her father, it was, a, it was a tradition, hopefully it is at your house, that her, her father, my children's grandfather would, the, 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 right after Thanksgiving meal, he would gather the grandchildren together and he would take them all and they would go down to Pollard's. Anybody know where that is? The tree lot, Pollard's tree lot. Anybody know where that is? Okay, that's where real Christmas trees are purchased. 
I, I said real Christmas trees are purchased, okay? And, and we would go and, and they would choose a tree and the children would come back with the tree. And, and then as he got older, it kind of got passed on down to me. And so I would go and I would bring Jacob Jr. and Christian and Joseph and then later on, all the rest of the children down to Amberley. And, and we would go and, and we would pick out a tree. And the trees got bigger and bigger as our family got bigger and bigger. And, and my job was to go and get the tree and then to bring the tree and then to put lights on the tree. Now, how many of you have ever put lights on a tree? Okay. Well, I didn't know that while I was a child growing up in the Mexican ghetto of Houston, that they were giving tree lighting etiquette lessons in Lafayette. So, so I'd get the tree and I'd put Michelle goes, if you get a tree that big, okay, you're the only one that's talking, you're going to have to put up those lights on the tree. And I'm going, all right. So I'd just get a big old long string of lights and just circle the tree. And she would say, that's not how you put lights on a tree. I'm like, baby, look, I, I'm sorry. I never went to a class. Where they, no, that's not how, you have to take and you have to wrap it around this and you bring it around there. And I mean, I, quite honestly, after about four or five years, we were ready for marriage counseling. <laughs> Over the tree. Christmas tree. The most wonderful time of the year. And so finally, it, we kind of came to a truce about 10 years ago. She's sitting on the front row, she'll tell you this. We came to a truce, here was the truce. I will go, I will take, and I will buy the Christmas tree. Can you believe how much trees cost now? I, I paid so much for a tree. I, I'm so mad at myself for paying for that tree. And, and so anyways, I got the tree. And, and, and so 10 years ago, we came to a truce. Here's the truce. I'll take the children. We'll go, we'll get the tree. We'll come in, we'll move the furniture. We'll get the tree set up in the right place. And from that point on, it's her because I don't know how to wrap the lights up a tree, apparently. And so that's the way it's been for quite a while. And um, last year we started having another conversation. So I got to ask this question. How many of you are real Christians? Okay. How many of you are real Christmas Christians? Okay. I'm about to find out how. How many of you here have a real live Christmas tree. Come on. How many of you here have a fake tree with fake lights pre-lit? Raise your hand. That you buy at Costco or Walmart or someplace else or Amazon. You, you have a fake tree with fake lights. And, and fake snow. Okay. And how many of you have the fake smell that you spray? My gosh. What is happening to our Savior's church? Hold it. I, I don't know if I can trust this person that got a fake tree, fake spray, fake snow, fake smell. What else about you is fake? I don't know. Are your teeth real? Are those your real teeth? 
Did you know that according to AAA, 12,000 people a year are injured by Christmas trees falling off of cars while they're being transported? Did you know that over 150 home fires begin with a Christmas tree? But do you all know that's nothing compared to the hurt, pain, and disappointment that many of us experience at home having to do with our family tree at Christmas? How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you got relatives that that you don't want to see that may be showing up that that you can't introduce, you have to explain them? (laughs) You you know how when you, like you brought your maid or your boyfriend or your girlfriend over to the house, you went like, this is my Aunt Clotilde. She got a mustache. Don't stare at her. (laughs) Okay, like my Uncle Fred, he's, stay back, he's handsy. Don't, don't, don't look at him in the eye. If you look at him in the eye, it's not good. Just kind of look and just go right on. How, how many of you got relatives like that? Raise your hand. That when they tell you, guess who's coming to Christmas? You go, not ho, 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 but no, no, no. <laughs> maybe maybe you, you, like me, when I was a kid in the, in the Mexican ghetto of Houston, have sat around and wondered, why did I have to come from this family tree? Why couldn't I have come from another family tree? Anybody ever wondered that? You ever grow up and and your friends had like, their their parents were like the great parents of the great family and and you had like your family? Like you sat around going, you know, wasn't there any rich white family at River Ranch that needed another child? How, how How did I get stuck here? But let me encourage you. You're not the only one with some broken branches in your family tree. As we'll see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, listen to this lineage. This is the family tree of Jesus Christ, who was David's son, who was Abraham's son. And Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had Judah and his brothers, and Judah had Perez and Sarah, the mother of That's one of those explanations I'll come back to. And Perez had Hezron, and Hezron had Aram, and Aram had Aminadab, and Aminadab had Nashon, and Nashon had Salmon, and Salmon had Boaz. And his mother was one of those people that has to be explained, not introduced. And Boaz had Obed, and Ruth was the mother, and Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had, and David became the king, and David had... Solomon and Solomon came from Uriah's wife. David was his father. Why? This is one of those other people that has to be explained, not introduced. And Solomon had Rehoboam and Rehoboam had Abijah and Abijah had Asa. Why is Matthew going to all of these details? Matthew, as you know, if you've seen the chosen or read your Bible, he was a tax collector. Say it with me, tax collector. He was a nerd. How many of you know people that work with numbers? They're nerds, okay? How many of you know someone like that well? Raise your hand. We, we have someone like that on our team. He's been with us a long time, actually since he was 19 years old. He's been everything, CFO, all kinds of stuff. His name, his name is uh, Pastor Don Norman. He's now oversees all of our finance, plus he's the uh, 
pastor of our New Iberia campus. And, and, and Pastor Don, when you ask him a question, he doesn't, I ask questions in headlines and I like answers in headlines. But when you ask him a headline, he gives you a fine print. So I'll say, hey, Pastor Don, how's the month of December looking and giving? Goes, well, Pastor, if you really look at the last four years and you amortize the last several quarters, and you know, sometimes there's five weeks in a month and sometimes there's four weeks in a month. And if you really look at all of that, considering what's going on pre-COVID, go, Don, do you want to be fired right at Christmas? <laughs> Just give me an answer. I want good or bad. I want poor or great. He, he, he answers, those people answer questions like, have you ever heard these car commercials? Like $99, you can have a brand new car for $99. And then the back goes, plus nine, two, five, 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 you'll be paying your grandmother, your great-grandmother, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, be paying for the rest of your life. Like, he answers him those like, I'm like, just, just give me a yes or a no. Give me a good or a bad that's exactly what Matthew was. Because you see, in the Jewish culture, your importance of how important you were was measured by your family lineage. So Matthew wanted everyone to know exactly where Jesus came from, that he was the lineage of the Messiah, that, that he was indeed from Abraham and from David. You see, most people were confused because Jesus, as we all know, was born in the city of Okay, this is Christmas 101. Okay, like if we ask you this in membership class and you don't get this right, we might send you to the Jehovah Witness Church. Okay, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Thank you. He was born in Bethlehem. Michelle and I were in Bethlehem about eight or 10 months ago. Surprising, you might not know this, but Muslims actually control all of Bethlehem. And so you, you, if, you, if you are Jewish right now, you actually can't, if you have a Jewish passport, you can't go into Bethlehem. So we had to get a Muslim driver to bring us to Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but most people didn't realize that because he was only born in Bethlehem. He was called Jesus of Nazareth because he was raised in Nazareth around that area, but it was because the census was ordered that his mother at almost nine months pregnant had to go on horseback and ultimately had to go to be counted in Bethlehem, which was his lineage. That was the city of David. And he was born there, but then he left. So people were confused about that. So Matthew makes sure that we understand that he comes from Abraham and David, because here's the promise God gave Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, he says, Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Read this with me. And all the families of what? Will be blessed through you. Because through him ultimately would come Jesus and salvation would come to the world. So Matthew is saying, here's the living proof that Jesus is of the lineage of Abraham and David. But do you know there are some strange broken people in this lineage? Pe people that have to be <laughs> explained and not introduced. Let me tell you about a few of them. Abraham. Abraham was a liar. Yeah, he was a liar. 
The father of faith was twice so afraid. His wife was so beautiful that when he went into a a, a specific city, he was afraid the rulers of the city were going to kill him to get to his wife. So he said, lie to him and simply tell him I'm your brother. Tell him I'm your brother. I have to do that every time I take Miss Michelle anywhere. (laughs) Then there was not only Abraham. Listen to these other people. There was Tamar. Now, this is really a crazy story. Okay, Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Jacob. She disguised herself. He went into her, didn't know it was his daughter-in-law, and had twins from her. Starting to make you feel better about your family? (laughs) Then there was Rahab. You know how some people have just a title? Jesus was a carpenter. Rahab was a harlot, a hooker. Yet she is in the lineage of Jesus. And then there was David. David killed one of his best friends because he'd committed adultery with his wife. And they had a son who would rule, would be the wisest man that ever lived. His name was Solomon. And when Matthew says who he is, he says he was Solomon. And then he says this, from the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Doesn't even say, he qualifies this. He's got to explain him. Well, why is Matthew going to all of this trouble? He wants you to understand something. God wants us to understand something. Joseph is presented as the husband of Mary, but he's not the one who fathered Jesus. Joseph was his legal father, but his biological father was God. Jesus was fully human because he was born of Mary, but he was fully God because he was born without sin and conceived of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss this. Jesus received David's throne as an heir, as the son of David, but he didn't receive David's sin. Can you say thank God for that? As we received Adam's sin. Now look right here. How many of you can, how many of you can look at your family line and see some jacked up people looking back? A, a while back, uh, my sister was in town and she came through real close to me. Amy really loves the Lord. One of the most amazing miracles I know. And, and she said, hey, I did Ancestry.com. I said, okay. We need old time grocery, all right. She goes, do you know that we have relatives that we didn't even know we had? I said, no. Take another bite of my bow boy. She goes, do you know that we have another brother from my daddy we didn't even know? I looked up and I go, I don't believe that. Pass me some french fries. And she goes, do you know that we have a sibling that's not from our mama? I said, I don't believe that. And I just keep She looks up at me and she goes, don't you want to know all of these people that you might be related to? I looked at her and I said, Amy, I don't want to know the people I am related to that I do know. And I said, and I got another question. If you're telling me I got a brother that I don't know that I have from my father and a sister that is not from my father that I thought was from my father, who in the heck are you? I'm saying that to you so that you can recognize the point of the message today is that all of us come from sin. All of us have flesh patterns. Say that with me, flesh patterns. What is that? That's given to yourself the direction your life would go the same way your family did. 
How, how many of you got a little, a little alcohol, a little fire water that flows through your family? Come on. How many of you got some folks that just smoke like women with men's voices? Come on. <laughs> how you doing? I'm in Sunday. <laughs> Come on. Some of you had my balls that dipped. How, how many of you, you, you know, there was certain things about your grandfather, your great don't mess with him, don't mess with him. He just would cuss or he would get angry or he would get drunk. Or how, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what those are? Those are generational flesh patterns. If your life was a car, it's like you're holding the steering wheel. And if the Holy Spirit isn't holding the steering wheel, if you let go of it and your flesh takes over, it will draw you into old sins that have plagued your entire family. We all fall into sin, but we fall into different sins depending on our family. Are you with me? Can everybody identify so far? Matthew tells us something amazing. Because this is so important because every person has inherited Adam's sin, but the Holy Spirit interrupted what Adam corrupted. Aren't you grateful for that? Matthew tells us Jesus was the only one born who had no sin. He had, he had no sin. That's why the virgin birth is so important because everybody born of a man is born with sin, but he was born with no sin in order to save us from our sin. Matthew 1 21 says this, she will bear a son and you will call his name. Why? For he will save his people. Say it loud from their what? You see, you come to Jesus while you're in sin, but if you follow Jesus, you won't keep committing the same sin. He came to save you from it. People often wonder, but pastor, why are sin sin? I mean, God just made a list of stuff that he thinks it's too enjoyable for us to do. So he said, you can't do it. Now look at me. Sin is not only harmful to God, sin is harmful to you. God tells us the best way to live because it's best for it's best for us. It's best for us. How did he save us? 2,000 years ago, a Roman cut down a tree and made it into a cross. And Jesus laid down his life on the tree to save you and me from our family tree. Our family tree. Because of the cross, darkness is lifted. Curses are canceled. Sin cycles of our family tree can be broken. Would you like to know the two amazing gifts that come to us because of the great Christmas tree called the cross? Number one, because of Jesus, the sin of my family tree can. That didn't sound very convincing. If you're with someone who mouths that and I'd be checking their phone when you leave here. Okay. Number one, because of Jesus, the sin of my family tree can. The Aranza sin cycle is broken. The arrogance, the addiction, the adultery that's generational in my family. My great-grandfather ran off with Pancho Villa. My grandfather walked 800 miles from the interior of Mexico and was not a good man until the last five years of his life when he was converted. My father was married five times. I mean, look, look at the generations of that legacy. Why are you saying that, Pastor Jacob? Because every one of us have something like that in our family. Every single one of us here have family 
broken branches that we look at and go, my God, I don't ever want to be that. But what Jesus did for you is greater than what Adam passed down to you. Aren't you thankful? You know what? We're all born to the Adams family. Dun da da dun. 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 I don't know the song that would be sick. We all have that sin that affects us and the world around us. And while we live in this world, we'll never be free from the effects of sin, but we can be free from the power and the penalty of sin, which is fear, guilt, and shame. What came on Adam and Eve in the garden? Well, what do you mean, pastor? Fear of death. Say that with me, fear of death. death. You you ever heard people go, I'm not afraid of nothing. I remember I I walked into the heart hospital and and a couple in the church that invited me, they said their daddy was an atheist. He was an old drill instructor in the Marines. I heard that he was near the end. And so I went over and I walked in and I said, I, I know your father's near the end. And, and I would like to go and talk to him about Jesus. The old pastor, he's an atheist. He's an old drill instructor. He doesn't believe in that. Really? Walked in there, go, hi, I'm your son and daughter-in-law's pastor. I'm Pastor Jacob. They say you're going to die. Do you want to get right with God and be Jesus? Absolutely. Because you know what? Everybody bold and strong till you face death in the face as the enemy that Jesus defeated. Can I tell you conversely? I remember holding Michelle's daddy's hand when he passed. I, I remember when they called and said, He's near the end, and I jumped in my car and drove as fast as I could to Lord's Hospital and walked up there, and this precious man who'd had Alzheimer's, and he, he, wouldn't even, he couldn't even think of anything or say things logical, but when you started praying, he would start praying like he had more sense than you and me. And we walked in, and Miss Louise said, Jacob's coming. David's coming. We both came in. My brother-in-law and I came in from two different parts of town. We both got in the same elevator. We walked in. He smiled at us. We started praying. And by the end of that prayer, I get the free songs by thinking about it. It was a holy moment. He went into the arms of Jesus. It was as holy as watching a baby being born. Because of the cross, you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of death. Paul said, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? For it's been swallowed up by Jesus. Here's the second thing. We don't have to deal with the guilt of sin. Say that with me, guilt of sin. How how many of you have done things you feel guilty about? Raise your hand. Why don't you stand up and tell us about it? Do, 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 you, do you know, I, I'm going to tell you something that many people are shocked to find out. How many of you know that there is only one person that knows the past, the present, and the future? Who is that? God. How many of you know that the devil doesn't know anything but the past and what you tell him of the present? That's all he knows. That's why your confession and the words you speak are so important. 
Whenever my words and my will align up with God's words and God's will, it releases God's will into my life. Whenever my words and my will line up with the enemy's words and the enemy's will, it releases the enemy's will into my life. And that's why when you're married, you never say, I'm going to get divorced. And that's why you say someone never, never can say someone is hopeless because of the cross. No one is without hope. The guilt of sin. Can I tell you what the devil does though? Look at me. He's an expert at it. If all he knows is the past, guess what he's real good at using? So you know what he does? He takes the guilt of the past to beat you over the head right now, okay? While you're in the middle of temptation, look at me. And he tries to convince you that's not what you did, that's who you are. You didn't get drunk, you're an alcoholic. You didn't do drugs, you're an addict. You didn't fall into immorality, you're an adulterer. You're a pervert. You'll never change. You know why? Look right here. Because if he can put his foot on your back and get you to continue to feel guilty and to feel the shame of your sin, which is the next thing I'm going to talk to you about, then he can get you, even though he doesn't know the future, he can beat you over the head with the past so that you go right back to the past and the past becomes your future. You, you know how when you're doing good and you feel like things are going great and all of a sudden you're just, I mean, things are going great. It's a movie screen. It's clear. It's good. And then all of a sudden a rerun comes of your past. Look at what you did. Like, like you're not even thinking of that. You're doing better than you have. You're climbing on your spiritual journey. Things are going good in your marriage. Things are going good with your kids. Things are going good personally. And all of a sudden, he, the enemy comes, and you have this overwhelming emotion of something that happened in the past. Why? He doesn't know the future, so he uses the past to beat you over the head with the present to get you to go back to it so that the past becomes your future over and over and over. That's what addicts do. That's what drug addicts do. That's what alcoholics do. That's what immoral people do. That's what perverts do. They just keep beating him over the head. He keeps beating them, and they keep going back to it over and over. And now it's their entire identity. It's their entire identity. What I did is not who I am. What you did is not who you are. Fear of death is gone. The guilt of sin is gone. And the Bible says God puts our sin as far as the east is away from the west. Another scripture says he throws our sin into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. And one preacher said, and he puts a big sign that says no fish in here. What else? Does it do? It removes the shame of our past. Shame. Say it with me, shame. How many of you have things that you did you're ashamed of? Remember when we were kids, you did something wrong, people look at you and go, what would they say? Remember that? Shame on you. Shame on you. Do you know what they tried to do? They tried to take the guilt of your past and beat you over the head with it right now so that you wouldn't repeat the same thing in the future when it actually has the exact opposite effect. Someone said it like this. You may have heard me say it. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. 
He knows your name, but he didn't call you John, or he didn't call you Susan, or he didn't call you Mary, or didn't call you Billy. Instead, he calls you addict, addicted, immoral. He calls you by your sin. Someone else said, God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And I said, God knows my sin, and he calls me by his name. He calls me by his name, son of God, son of God. Romans 5, 17 and 18. I want you to get this. Read it with me. Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, that was Adam. Death reigned as king over all of what? But, but now, how much are we held in the grip of and continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying the regal freedom to the, not, not earned, not reward, the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation, fear, guilt, and shame came upon all people through one man's transgression or sin, so through one man's righteous Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect, read it with me, the perfect righteousness is made us what? And leads us to a victorious life, and it's now available to all. No one is too lost. No one is too far gone. No one is too broken for the power of the grace of God and the power of the cross. No one. The pastor, uh, I, 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 you know there's five gospels? Matthew. What? I thought there was, there was four. No. There's And you. And you. And you. People that will never walk through the doors of this church, they're reading you. You might be the only Bible some people ever read. Here's the second Christmas gift God has given us under the tree of the cross. Because of Jesus, we can be born again into a, a new family. You know, Pastor, you, you don't know the generational junk that I come from. No, I don't. Many years ago, there was a song that began, really, it was an anthem for people who were sexually confused. And the song was called, Born That Way. I was born that way. So let me ask the question. Can you be born an alcoholic? Can you be born a drug addict? Can you be born an adulterer? Can you be born a rageaholic? Can you be born a workaholic? Look at me. Remember, all of us have a flesh pattern, and all of us received Adam's sin and the sin of our parents. And unless Jesus interrupts our life, that's the way that our life is going to go. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying if you were born gay, if you were born bi, if you were born an alcoholic, if you were born a drug addict, if, like me, you were fortunate enough to get all the win the lottery, addiction, <laughs> drugs, all of it. You know what Jesus tells you? The first commandment is you must be born again. 
See, when you're born again, you get a new father and a new family tree under the tree called the cross. But not only do you get a new father and a new family tree, you get a new family. Say it with me, new family. You and I, because of the cross, we get a new family. Jesus once described it like this. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 47. Someone said, look, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to have a word with you. But Jesus looked around and said, let me introduce you to my true mother. And, and then gesturing at his disciples gathered around him, he said, look closely for this is my for when you obey my heavenly father, that makes you a part of my family. It makes you a part of my family. In other words, only those who do the will of God are part of the family of God. I find freedom at the cross. I find forgiveness at the cross. I find mercy at the cross. I find grace at the cross, but I also find family at the cross. Family at the cross. John 19, 25 gives us a picture. Mary is at the cross of Jesus. Jesus is in his final words before he dies and pays the ultimate price for all of our sin. Mary, Jesus's mother, was standing there next to his cross along with Mary, his sister, and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so when Jesus looked down, he saw the disciple he loved standing with her. That was John. And he said to her, Mother, look, John will be a son to you. And then he said to John, look, she will be a mother to you. And from that day on, John accepted Mary into his own home as his own family. Jesus is about to leave, but before he leaves, he leaves us something. Beginning with John, he left him family. Say that, family. Do you know, do you think people want Jesus? Let me ask you something. Quite simple question. Can you find Jesus at home? It's in a trick question. I mean, I won't throw you out the church unless you say something really stupid like Santa Claus. Can you find Jesus at home? But you know what you can't find? You can't find his family at home. You, you know why I believe this so strongly? Because when I gave my life to Jesus, there was nothing in my family I wanted to be like. I didn't know what a normal family looked like. I didn't know what life without the police and life without divorce and life without waking up in the middle of the night with your mom and daddy screaming and yelling. And I, I didn't know what it was like to, to have a normal family of some semblance. My family tree was so jacked up, I knew everything I didn't want to be but I had no clue of what I could be until I gave my life to Jesus at Jackson Junior High School in the body of Houston, and I walked into a church. And can I tell you this? Look at me. Our church is like cool church. Like there's some really good-looking people that come to this church. I mean, some of y'all have some real swag. I think that's what kids call it. I mean, you're like, we have good looking people. Like there are people in our church that are in magazines and commercials and like you just walk around like, hi, I'm from our Savior's church. I mean, there are, there are, there are. When I walked into that church, 
It was 150 to 200 people, 50 to 80 years old. Do you know what that looks like when you're 14? That looks like you're walking in a room with people 500 years old. I looked nothing like them. My hair was down to here. I was a mess. And you know what they did? It was like adopt a Mexican foster care gang member week. Those old ladies loved us. They prayed for us. They brought me clothes. They brought us cookies. They brought us shoes. I interacted with one of those families this week from 51 years ago on Facebook. 51 years ago. You know what I found? Say it loud. You know what the majority of people that come walking in these doors are looking for? I mean, I... I think we have a good time when I teach the Word of God to you or Joseph does or our pastors. We're blessed to have the best preachers in America that come through here. That's all wonderful. The worship is great. But you know what people are looking for when they come walking in here that come from broken families, that come from no example to be like, that come from no marriage they've ever wanted to replicate? Do you know what they're looking for? Looking for you. Looking for you. They're looking for you. Black and white, rich and poor, blood-washed, spirit-filled, children of the living God who they know they're going to be not only spend eternity with, but they enjoy being with here on earth. We'll all open gifts under the Christmas tree, but the greatest gift ever given to us was born in a wooden manger, died on a Roman tree called the cross so that we might truly find a new family tree. A new family tree. You know what it means? It means that my sin's forgiven. Say that with me. My sin's forgiven. Say it loud. My sin is forgiven. Let me tell you how true that is. Look right here. When you ask God to forgive you for something you've already asked him to forgive you of, he doesn't even know what you're talking about. He not only forgives and removes all of my sin, Here's the second thing, righteousness is given. Say that with me, righteousness is given. Not only does he take away my sin, he gives me all the righteousness of Jesus and he adds that to my account. Sin forgiven, righteousness given, and then I become a tree of righteousness. I have a new family tree because he is now the head of it. Can I close and get a little personal? My father passed away and the funeral was Friday. I, uh, when I was 14 years old, my pastor became my father. Picked me up at my mother's bar, showed me how to be a husband and a father and a man. When I was 17 years old and he announced that he was leaving the church, I walked back to the back like y'all was shake hands afterwards and he looked, I looked at him and said, Pastor Keith, if you leave, what happens to me? Who's going to pick me up in my mama's bar? He said, well, ask your mother if she'll sign papers and you can go. I came back to Sunday night church and said, she said, I could go. And I never looked back. Never looked back. Never looked back. This week at the funeral, I opened, spoke and opened in prayer. Christian, her son who's a pastor in Houston, spoke in the middle of it. Joseph prayed, shared at the graveside. And as we were leaving, 
going to the airport. Joseph and Christian looked at me and said, Daddy, thank you for following Jesus and making sure that our life didn't look like what we just laughed. Look at me. The only reason that happened was because of Jesus and the church, God's family. Do you know what people want to come walking in these doors? How many ever came to church needing encouragement? How many ever came to church needing somebody to hug you? How many come to church needing somebody to acknowledge you and call your name? Raise your hand. You can't get that at home. If you're sitting at home watching, ah, thank you for watching. If you're in a deer stand, I pray you shot a big deer. If you're hunting ducks and geese, it's illegal. The season doesn't open till tomorrow. I pray you don't get caught. I'm a member of Ducks Unlimited. Shoot my limit too. But look at me. If you need all of that, then what do you think you need to be when people come walking through those doors? What do you think you need to be? Do you know that as we invite people to all of these services, and I'm, I'm believing God that we're going to have 5,000 people here at this campus at Christmas. Big weekends, 3,000. We can have 5,000 that weekend. Do you know that most people who don't even want to come to church will come simply because they want to be with you if you ask them? Let me say that again. Do you know that some people who don't even want to come to church want friends? They don't know it. Spiritual family. They want family so bad that if you would invite them, they would come with you just because you invited them. Jesus saved my soul, but the church of Jesus saved my life. It saved my life. It saved my life. It saved my children's life. It's where my wife was found. It's where my children found their wives, their future, their family. It's so sad that so many people will celebrate Christmas that know nothing about Christ and his family. But we can make sure that doesn't happen with anyone we know. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you. Thank you. That the cross, the real Christmas tree, gave every one of us the opportunity to go from the brokenness of our family tree to a new beginning in spiritual family. I stand together with every single person here who shares so much disappointment in moments like this. Because of the decisions that they made, because of the decisions others made that have affected them. And Lord, I ask you to draw people to yourself. This Christmas season is never before when people are afraid and they are discouraged and they are disillusioned. We ask you in the name of Jesus, let a great harvest come. Let children and grandchildren, friends and neighbors, loved ones, workers, co-workers, bosses, come to know you. Because of people that are here right now. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Pastor, why do you do this all the time? Why do you do this at the end of every week? Because I was one person that raised a hand and so were you. 
And each week, already 50 or 60 people have responded right here to have a new beginning, to be born again, for the cross to become their tree of new beginning. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but, but I don't think I've ever been born again. How can I be born again? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. C, confess Christ is your Savior and your sin to him as you turn away from sin to be born again today. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus. I may have been christened, baptized, or even joined a church, but I've never prayed to be born again. If Jesus said I need to be born again to inherit the kingdom of God, that's what I want to do today. I want to know God. I want to know God. I want a new beginning. I want a new family tree. Then I'm gonna count to three, and if that's you on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand, and I'm gonna pray for you right at your seat. That's all I'm gonna do is pray for you right at your seat. One, God brought you here. Yes, he did, he did. You think somebody else, no one, he's been speaking to you. Two, even in the night while you've been sleeping, he's been talking to you and drawing you. You sense that vacuum, that emptiness, that hollowness. And you know you've needed to surrender to Jesus for him to come live inside of you, for you to be born again. And now is your moment. Three, if that's you, raise your hand high. I'm going to pray for you right now. High. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty. Thirty-one. Okay. 32, you can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these 32, but I should have. I've never prayed to be born again. I don't know why I've waited so long. I know God is talking to me. He's been chasing me. I know it. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise your hand, wave it at me if you didn't raise it yet. And join these 32. Wave it. Wave it at me. 33. You can put your hands down now. Now, church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, did you receive that message? Is that great? Would you stand up on your feet with me? If you just made that decision to give your life to Jesus, your next step is water baptism. You can find one of these blue Get Connected cards right in front of you. Check that box, fill that information out, and leave it on your pew. Well, hey, would you bow your heads with me as I bless you before we leave? Now, may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And may all that you set your hand to may be for the kingdom, and may he prosper it, may he bless it. And as your pastor, I bless you in the name of the Father, his son Jesus, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. Amen. We have prayer partners up at the front. We'll see you next week.